Today we're talking to Nick Dixon, Senior SDR at Falcon.io, about how to become the top SDR within 90 days. I'm very excited for this one. So we're talking to Nick Dixon today, and one of the things that's just always a treat for me, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, is getting to talk to people that are the top rep at their company. And Nick Dixon is the top SDR, and he did it within a three-month period. So he's got some really interesting things in terms of like how he was able to accomplish that. And before we get to that, if you're listening to the show for the first time, my name's Jason Bay. You can call me Jay Bay. I'm the host of Blissful Prospecting. And what I'm really passionate about is helping sales reps and sales leaders who love landing big meetings, you know, with potential prospects and clients, but hate it when they spend a ton of time, you know, personalizing an email and people don't respond or not feeling confident about what they say in their cold calls. So my goal is to help you land more meetings with your ideal clients. So Nick Dixon, what we're going to talk about, he came to me with a big list of like 12 things. (laughs) And he's like, these are the 12 things that are key Uh, for me, becoming the top SDR at my company within the first 90 days. And we weren't able to get to all 12. Uh, We get to a lot of them, but we're going to be talking just a lot of really great things that will apply no matter what kind of experience you have. And he might be an SDR um, that's talking about his first 90 days, but Nick's been doing this for a while now. And SDRs, if you're unaware, all they do is prospect. So they're very, very good at cold outreach. And that might be something you can learn if that's not your job full time. So one of the things he talks about is uh, tonality, which is a big thing. Um, But how to kind of mirror when it comes to tonality. He lays out a plan for what the first 90 days should look like or the next 90 days for you if you're looking to become the top rep at your company. He talks about how he studied top reps. He talked about uh, really getting to know your personas. I mean, this one is just like filled with really good detail. So I'm excited for you to listen to it. And before we get to that interview, um, we have three more weeks left of presentations and webinars on the Think Outside the Script Summer Virtual Tour. And we've had like almost 7,000 people sign up for this thing over the summer. So we're doing live webinars. We're talking to folks, uh, sales leaders, quota carrying reps, and it's all about prospecting. So it's free. It's live. We're talking cold email, cold calling, LinkedIn, all that good stuff. It's at tour.blissfulprospecting.com. Go check it out while we still have some more live ones coming up. That's tour.blissfulprospecting.com. And let's get to the interview with Nick. So I was looking on LinkedIn. You're about a year in a month or two months into your, to your job right now. And things have gone pretty well, man. What, so what do you remember looking back at the first 90 days? What stuck out to you about those first 90 days, man? Yeah, man, it was actually uh, August first was my one year, so I'm uh, I'm I'm very, you know, excited to uh, you know, to let's just say kept the job a year. You know, I'm super excited <laughs> about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad they aren't tired of me yet. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm I'm super excited, uh, and you know, just you know that first you know the first year somewhere it feels nice. You know, looking back and you know always feeling like the new guy. And then, you know, having a, having a year under the belt now and, you know, really understanding the way the business operates and especially within our sales organization, um, you know, it's just a great feeling, but, uh, you know, kind of reflecting back on those, uh, you know, that first, first quarter, first 90 days, um, you know, some, some things really come to mind, you know, it's, uh, it's, 
it's funny to see, you know, the way that you kind of understand, I guess, the space that you work in, but not only, um, you know, the, the particular, uh, I guess you could say market that you're selling into, but, uh, you know, more, more so from like an internal perspective, um, you know, learning the processes, um, learning, you know, what are, what are, what is the etiquette in Salesforce? When should I work something? When should something, uh, you know, go to this person? Um, but yeah, no, I, uh, you know, just looking back at those first 90 days, I think that those were a, uh, were a really important time to me. Um, and I think if, if anything kind of condenses itself from those first 90 days, it would just be, um, as many reps as possible, you know, just getting yeah. in and really getting my feet wet, trying to do what I can to understand not only the subject matter, um, also understand, you know, what we're selling, who we're selling to, um, you know, how to write a, how to write a good cold email, um, you know, how to, how to get somebody's interest on a cold call, how to not get hung up on. Um, and, you know, I think that I found a lot of those things just through putting in as many reps as possible in those first 90 days. Yeah. It's it. Cause you didn't come from a sales background, right? I know you like run yeah. a business and doing all kinds of other stuff, but uh, yeah, getting the reps in and just, just immersing yourself in like everything that you can experience possible. And we're going to dig in cause you prepared some really cool stuff, man, that I'm excited to, to dig into. So we'll dig into that here in a second. But uh, so things went really well for you in the first 90 days, right? Two or three months in, you were like already setting a shit ton of appointments, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, it um, you know, I think that I, I just really put my head down in those first first 90 days. And, uh, you know, it had been a while since I'd had, I'd been overseas for like two years. And, uh, you know, I came into the job just knowing like, okay, this is the perfect size for me. Um, and just as a little background, my previous job, uh, before spending about two years overseas, I was working and consulting at IBM. And, you know, I was a, I had a serial number. I never really felt like I belonged anywhere. Um, and I kind of made the decision, okay, Falcon, um, you know, we're about three or 400 people now. Um, you know, it's a company where it can really, you know, people can get to know you, build some relationships. And I just saw early on that, like, it was somewhere I wanted to stay. Um, and I just made up my mind. I was like, you know what, like I'm going to do everything I can in these first, you know, couple of months to just really try my best to, uh, you know, learn this craft and learn how to, uh, you know, learn how to be an SDR and try to make the most of it, you know? Well, just before we dig into this, can you share a little bit more about Falcon just to give people some perspective on like, what kind of accounts do you sell into in terms of like the size of these companies? Like who's your persona, like that kind of stuff. And they'll give some more perspective. For sure. Um, so Falcon, we offer a unified social media uh, management solution. So um, good way to think of it is just a uh, the Swiss army knife of uh, social media tools. You know, everything from, um, you know, your content calendar to your analytics and everything in between. Um, so with that said, uh, we sit at like a pretty unique place, I'd say, in the market. Um, it is a, uh, you know, a very, very competitive space. Yep. Uh, there are a lot of different solutions on the market and a lot that has been in the US market longer than we have. Uh, we actually have a pretty big footprint in Europe. Um, we're Europe, a, excuse me, a Danish company. Um, we were founded actually 10 years ago um, and really focused on that market for probably the first um, you know, five years we were in existence. And then I think about 2016, we branched out to the US. So you know, by that time, uh, the competitors in our market, uh, the Hootsuites, the Sprout, they had really got a really nice foothold in the market. So, you know, uh, 
it's definitely an interesting an interesting space that we sell into um, because we find ourselves like in this little, I like to think of it as a corner of the market. Um, but it, it, and I think, you know, it, it's, and, and let me back up a little bit. I think that it's a, a very interesting space um, because there are, you know, very capable, uh, very, you know, there's, there's a spectrum of tools, right? You have everything from the super customized, uh, you know, super capable uh, tools like sprinkler on the market. Um, but then you also, you have some self-service tools that are maybe, you know, five bucks a month or free. Um, there really is a spectrum of tools out there and there's a ton at various levels on the spectrum. I think we sit at a very unique spot being that, you know, we are on the premium end, um, but we don't necessarily focus on enterprise where, uh, you know, where people like, um, especially sprinkler have dominated. Um, so we kind of have figured out our target verticals, um, yeah. and definitely ones that I focus on personally, um, and areas that, you know, do represent a, uh, you know, a decent amount of our, uh, clients are a higher ed as well as agencies. Um, and I think that when you look at those two verticals, um, I think that the common theme there is complexity, um, and how well our tool deals with a complex environment where, hey, you've got one voice coming out that is yeah. your social media presence, that is the way you deal with customer care, that is the way you deal with uh, conversations going on in the periphery, uh, you know, around your brand. Um, and I think that those, any, any situation that we come in contact with or anytime I hear about, hey, I've got a team of 10, you know, we got three guys creating content, uh, we got two guys running analytics. Um, you know, we have a whole team that handles customer care. Whenever I hear complexity, that's when I get excited. Um, because I know that that's something that, uh, you know, our tool does really well. So, um, does that kind of answer the question about, uh, you know, you know, where we're kind of like looking at as far as like, you know, how I see the market and, you know, kind of the areas that I, uh, I choose to go after. No, definitely. So it sounds like SMBs and potentially maybe some mid market, but you're selling to marketing. Folks. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Cool. Um, okay. So let's get into some of these points. And and uh, like I said, we may or may not get into all of these. But one of the first things that you talk about, I thought you had a really cool way of looking at this, was finding the way that you work best. So how did that how did that work out for you? How were you able to kind of figure out how you worked best, especially coming in with no prior sales experience? Yeah. For sure. Um, you know what? I figured out that there was kind of like, you know, just from like looking around and spending time shadowing in my first 90 days and, uh, you know, hearing other people on the phone across the floor from me and, uh, you know, shadowing colleagues that I saw like, wow, like this guy, this guy's got it going on. I'm going to see exactly what he's doing. I noticed that like people that were successful on my team fell into like one of three categories. And to be honest, the way I look at this is, uh, is these, three, these three categories that anybody can fall into, right? First is a volume crusher, somebody that just rips calls, shoots out a ton of emails, is just like doing their most every day, like full throttle at the top of the gecko board. It's just crushing, you know, numbers in terms of, uh, you know, outreach and activities. Um, the second one is the uh, like silky smooth talker, you know, the guy that listens to his gong calls that's just yeah. prepared, you know, realizes the places where maybe they sound 
uh, like they could use a little help on the phone, getting that feedback, getting that coaching. Um, but somebody that's just like really excellent with their on the phone game, if you will. And then the third is, uh, I think maybe the more, the more boring of the three, but it's the pipeline manager. Um, and you know, the person that really gives themselves the best chance to book the most meetings possible. Um, you know, and that's not always a fun thing, man. You know, I know that sometimes, uh, you know, Salesforce gets a little out of hand, right? Or whatever CRM you're using. And, uh, you know, you've got to open accounts everywhere. You've got new accounts you haven't touched in 30 days. And, you know, sometimes that gets a little, a little crazy. Um, but the way I look at these three categories, right? I think that you've got like these three distinct things, but I don't think they're all like mutually exclusive. I actually like, the way I look at it is like, having one of those things, it's going to help you book meetings, right? You're going to be able to book meetings. You're going to be in the middle of the, you know, you're going to be in the middle of the charts on the team. Um, two is going to like get you up that leaderboard, right? Two is going to help you get to goal um, and help you stay comfortable. And, you know, I think if you can successfully, uh, you know, get all three of those in, you know, I think it's going to definitely take you to the top of that leaderboard. Um, and, you know, not only on your team, but maybe across the global team. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think it's a, uh, you know, I definitely just reflecting back, I know there's guys and gals on the team that I, uh, you know, look back and can definitely identify as like, you know, those three kind of unique personas. I love that, man. It's a really fun way to describe those different personas. And I like that. It's like, Hey, if, if you have one of these, you're going to get meetings, but like really all of these you want to play into sort of like alter egos. Um, sure. was there anything you know, that helped you from a volume standpoint, did they give you activity targets that you needed to hit? Or did you just kind of look and see what other people were doing to hit volume? How did you approach that aspect of it? You know what, I think that, and this is, this is kind of funny, um, because I think that, you know, of course there are um, some kind of suggested type minimums across the team, like, hey, we need 50 quality dials every day. Um, we don't necessarily focus on talk time because we're not really an SMB sale. We're not calling the corner mom and pop like, Hey, yeah. you know, managing, you know, we, that's not really, uh, I don't think the quality, um, you know, it's not the type of conversation we're having. So not really a metric we focus on more so the number of activities and actually, I guess a pretty funny segue for me. Um, so maybe a little, a little personal information about myself is that I love my little golden stars, right? I love seeing my name on the presentations. I love seeing it on whatever it may be. Um, so I realized at first, you know, I came in and all these senior reps were, uh, you know, showing up on our weekly, you know, our Monday meeting when we come in, it's like, Hey, this guy had this many booked and held meetings. Uh, this lady had, you know, three booked meetings, this person had four and then like deals that closed. And I realized like, you know, as a new, you know, as a new guy on the squad, it's gonna, it's gonna take me a little while to get you know, on that, uh, you know, on those like hard metrics, like held meetings, things like that. And I said, you know what, until I can get up there, I'm going to be at the top of the activities board. So I was like, okay, I need my name on this slide, Jason. I need my name on this slide. And that was the quickest way I found to get my name on that slide. And, uh, you know, I think that it, um, you know, I think that that may be being the first little bit of like gratification I needed. And then I realized like, hey, wow, this is really paying off, right? all of these activities that I'm, uh, you know, all these calls and, you know, accounts that I've been working through, you know, it's starting to pay off. And, you know, after that first month, those started to turn into, uh, you know, meetings and, um, you know, started to, uh, you know, give me stuff to kind of, to kind of boost up my pipeline. 
Yeah, it's interesting. It's almost kind of playing into like, how are you, what motivates you, you know, looking for the intrinsic things that might motivate you and also extrinsic. Yeah, I feel, I feel like people talk a lot of shit about extrinsic motivation. Oh, sure. You know, and it's like, well, I don't know what's wrong with that. Like what's wrong with wanting your name on a leaderboard or getting recognized socially? I mean, that's human nature to yeah. get social, get social proof, right? That's, that's really all it is at the end of the day. But this pipeline manager, this, I think this is the, probably one of the most overlooked parts of like great sales development is taking a, a, you know, a math oriented approach. Like there is an equation here. Once you figure out the amount of activities and the amount of time, like it really does kind of come down to math, but that kind of segues into this second part with pipeline management. How did you figure out how to manage your pipeline? Did, did someone sit down and like show you this stuff or did you just kind of mess around with Salesforce a bunch? And are you, are you, kind of, are you a numbers guy at all? Or? Um, yeah, I am to an extent. Um, yeah. I don't think that I am. I don't think that I can claim to be that I, you know, deeply entrenched with the with the metrics. And like, I don't want to get lost in a Salesforce force report, you know. Um, but I will say that I think I would lend, uh, you know, any part of me that is that does fall into that pipeline manager um, category is definitely a huge shout out to my uh, my manager Josh Malakoff. So. He was actually, uh, my first day at Falcon was his first day um, as a manager. Oh, nice. So he had been a very successful uh, SDR before, had been promoted to senior SDR. Um, and this guy's pipeline was absolutely spotless. You know, no overdue tasks, um, no open accounts, always had, you know, um, you know, the right number of accounts and prospecting that he was working. Um, and I'm sorry if those are, those are a little, those may be Falcon specific terms, but um, you know, maybe there's a, a similar, maybe a similar uh, kind of word there that everybody is familiar with. But um, you know, I definitely saw that with him and I, uh, you know, that was really the one thing that was preached from day one. Like if you can stay on top of this and you keep, if you keep feeding this machine and keeping it well-maintained um, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna receive results. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's all a, uh, you know, it's all a numbers game. There's a connect rate, uh, that goes across the board. And, you know, if you can work this amount of accounts, it's going to produce that amount of results. So, um, you know, I definitely, I definitely, I guess got my toes wet on that one with, uh, Josh. So shout out Josh. This is, that was, that one's for you, bud. Is there any, uh, is there any way that you suggest, because the tasks I know can just get crazy, right? Okay. I mean, if you just, even if you're reaching out to 25, you know, targets, let's say uh, 25 people per week. Sure. And depending on how many people are in your sequence and how many of those touches are manual, that can like, that can add up to hundreds of activities, uh, especially if the sequence is like four or five weeks long or three or four okay. weeks. Um, how did you look at, was there ever a time where the number of activities was like literally physically impossible to hit and you had to prioritize like parts of your pipeline, did that ever happen? Or did you just clear the entire task queue out every day <laughs> or, or, or by the end of the week? Yeah. So, so mine was a little bit, uh, you know, I think there's, I guess the way our workflow is set up is, uh, you know, we use Salesforce sales loft, all of my yep. uh, dialing. If I, if I'm opening an account and putting an account into a cadence done in Salesforce, if I'm working it as far as like my cadence steps, um, that's always done in sales loft. So you know what I did at first, 
Um, I always make sure to keep, so the magic number for me was 80 accounts. So I always tried to be between 80 and hundred that were in prospecting. Um, and I kind of noticed that that left me, um, you know, somewhere between 50 and 55, uh, calls per day. Um, so that put me like kind of where I wanted to be as far as, um, you know, those kind of called those, uh, you know, planned cadence steps. So that put me where I wanted to be there. I didn't have to go look for the calls. I didn't have to go dig through and be like, Hey, where can I get these numbers? Um, you know, just to, just to maybe stay off of my leadership's radar. Like I want to be able to hit my number every day and it, for it to be planned. I don't want to have to go looking for, you know, extra calls to hit a, a threshold or whatever that may be. Um, so I just figured out that that was kind of, and that kind of plays into like figuring out the way that I work. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I figured out that like, Hey, that amount of, uh, you know, having that amount of people working at, at one given time would give me the amount of calls I needed. Um, and then, you know, if like, let's say I had a month where I didn't quite book enough, didn't quite hold enough meetings. Um, you know, the one controllable there is like, Hey, let's just go up maybe five or 10 of uh, mm-hmm. the accounts that we have in prospecting. And, uh, you know, you know, maybe that will translate into some sort of output. And did you, did, were the accounts selected for you or did you have some autonomy there to go find accounts that met certain requirements out of, out of that work? So that's a, that's a great question. And uh, that's one of the interesting and fun things about working at Falcon is there is no, there is no um, basically rule um, to, to what accounts we can and can't work. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the only stipulations are being that they're somewhere in North or South America. Um, yeah. You know, we do have a, APAC team, we do have a, uh, you know, every, basically everywhere outside of uh, North and South America, we have a team covering. So that's kind of our only stipulation. Um, there really isn't a, you know, a business size. I mean, I've seen anybody from, you know, top business with 150,000 employees down to a, you know, marketing agency with two employees by Falcon. So that's the nice thing is that there is a huge amount of uh, accounts to go after. Um, but as you can see that of course, like presents some, you know, that presents some challenges like, Hey, yeah. just, okay. This is an agency with five people. Should we, uh, should we give them a call? You know, I think that there's uh, you know, definitely other indicators that I've had to learn to look at, um, you know, specifically like, you know, different verticals, different titles, you know, if the, if different titles exist or the certain number of these certain titles exist, that'll be an indicator for me. Okay. This is an account that would be a good use case. How many people do you typically go after at each account at any given time? So I actually was discussing this today was I was doing some, uh, some new hire, I new hire. Um, they were shadowing me while I was just opening up some brand new accounts um, and so I think it's a, I think it's across the team. I think more people are maybe working multiple people at one time. So let's say, um, you know, maybe, maybe we've got like a high low director or maybe like a manager level, a director level, um, and maybe a C level. Typically I'm like a last resort going to a C level guy. I'm, I'm usually starting, I usually work one at a time. Um, cause I usually like to, my way of thinking is that I don't think it's necessarily, um, I'm, I'm thinking of the right way to articulate this. Cause I think this has actually been something that's helped me, um, you know, get through to accounts. So 
my thing is, is in choosing accounts, I like to find somebody that fits pretty close to our ICP. Um, so my thing is, is I like to work one at a time. So if you look at it, it's kind of linear, right? I'm working this one person. Uh, maybe I'm going to go back after this one person. And then maybe I'll let that account breathe for a month. Um, you know, I've always been kind of kind of turned off and I've seen people, I guess, like SDR shame people for sending the same email to the same people at the same account. Um, but the way I look at it, when you work uh, one person straight through and then work a different person straight through, always just like, and this sounds like a really simple approach, but I really like to just figure out who is, you know, of course, the best, most suited contact, first of all, because I was just actually uh, in this shadowing I was telling you about earlier. I located two people that had a similar title. Mm-hmm. Neither one of them were really social media related. Um, and they both actually had the same title, the same company, um, but did a little bit of context clue hunting about previous roles and like some LinkedIn descriptions and their websites um, and was able to kind of figure out who would probably be in charge of that, like content marketing social. So in that case, you know, I'll work this person that was more content and social related first. And when I realize I'm not going to get an answer there or any kind of response, then I'll go after that second person. So, you know, it gives me more time that I'm going after that person. Um, and I just think that, you know, a lot of people are more inclined to respond to this sort of email if it's a time when they're actually like, you know, looking into tools, um, because, you know, typically in the, and I'm sure a lot of tools are a similar way, but, you know, typically being, um, you know, I'd say 99% of the time, most people are on like a, like an annual, um, contract then, you know, they're probably looking to, you know, evaluate maybe one or two months out of the year. So if there's a chance that you're, you're drawing at that amount of time that you're going after these kind of target accounts that fit your ICP, I think it just makes your odds go up. You know, the fact that maybe you'll get yeah. them at a time when they're actually willing to look at a tool. That's really interesting because this is something that people ask so much, right? How, how many people, cause I think you're really playing, like you're not really playing into the short term mentality when you do it. You're like, Hey, this company I know is going to be a good fit based on my research for what they're doing. And I never really thought about it like that. If I go after three or four people over the course of you know, three or four months, that means I'm going after this account during a three to four month window, let's say versus a one month window where I'm hitting four people at a time with the same messaging. who are probably forwarding emails to each other, by the way, and That's seeing the same exact email. And it just, it's not a good look, you know, when, when you see that kind of stuff. So that's interesting, man. That's, that's really, really interesting. Yeah, so man. I guess it'd be like dating, like, uh, you know, it'd be like dating a couple of people at the same time. You can do it. Yeah. You can totally do it. You might be able to get away with it for a while, but it may not just work out in the end, you know? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, so the next thing that you talk about is tone. And tone is, tone is an interesting topic to me because you know, I think a lot of the advice out there is really bad on tone. Sure. And it's very manufactured. And I find that if your mentality is pretty good and, and you are, you got your head in the right place of like, Hey, I'm going to be a little more curious about this and like what they're doing and how I can help versus just being super assumptive about, you know, wanting to get a meeting with them or selling them or whatever. A lot of the tone kind of takes care of itself in my experience, but I'm curious though, because you talked about this a lot. How do you look at tone how did you improve your tone or do you even look at it as something that you, you know, consciously think about a lot or 
What are your thoughts on tone? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think it's something that I um, actually love having, you know, talking about this with new hires because I think mm-hmm. it's actually like a pretty easy thing to, um, I don't want to say learn, but I think it's something to, to be aware of. Um, yeah. I think more of an awareness thing than anything. Um, you know, I think, and basically my philosophy toward it is pretty simple. Um, the way I look at it is, you know, let's say I'm making a cold call, you know, somebody picks up and they're like, Hey, this is Nick. People want to see some sort of energy that they're giving off. They kind of want to be reflected. They want to like, if you're mirroring the same energy that they're giving off, um, I think it makes people more receptive to a conversation. So, you know, if I call somebody and they're like, Hey, this is Dan. Hey, Dan, this is Nick Dixon. How you been? And then I kind of like meet them at their level, but go a sheet of paper higher, you know, know, and, you know, fit wherever they're at. You know, if I call somebody and, Hey, this is John. Hey, John, how you doing? You know, I'll, I'll meet them where they're at and just go a level higher. You almost have uh, like a little New Yorker accent come out there too. Yeah. <laughs> it could be my southernness, man. It is. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. that's what it was. <laughs> I'm very southern, man. The uh, the boots fall out of my mouth sometimes. It happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so tone uh, mirroring is interesting because the psychology behind mirroring is, you know, essentially that people feel more comfortable. Oh yeah. When they are around people like them. It's just like a survival thing from a long time ago. I guess it's a speculation of where that sort of comes from. Um, so you're trying to just be a shade more in terms of energy. Yeah, just a shade more. Um, and I think that it's, uh, you know, not necessarily trying to, um, and I actually believe that, you know, I, can, I think that first, my first kind of, uh, you know, the first time that came across my radar um, was from uh, Chris Voss's book. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I think that that maybe is one of his reference, like the like shade, just a shade higher. Um, so yeah, I definitely do that. But then I think that it gets it maybe gets a little bit more complex, right? So after you kind of match them on the tone and they're comfortable, okay, I'll talk to this guy Nick that's giving me a call. Um, and then I think that you can kind of, and this is maybe like the second level that's not always necessary because I think with tone, um, I think you can get a lot of the places you want to go. Um, you know, and then at that point you can kind of start to maybe listen to maybe the way that they talk. How are they putting sentences together? Are they speaking in a very technical way? Are they talking about some very complicated API or are they like, yo man? Yeah. I manage the social over here. What's up? Yo. And if somebody comes at me like that, I won't be like, yo, what's up, James? How you been, man? Hey, I know we talked to you last year. Like, what's good? You know, I'll like meet them where they're at. I'm not here to, I'm not here to, to force my, you know, you know, wherever my position is on anyone. I'm here to kind of, uh, you know, make them feel as comfortable as possible. And, uh, you know, hopefully they're willing to, you know, open up and have a conversation. You know, it's interesting what this, I love that by the way, what, what it made me think of is, any social gathering when we could actually go out and do a lot of stuff in person, like you always match the other person's energy. You never walk up to someone, you know, uh, you know, a, a group at the bar, let's say you never grow, walk up to a group of people and they're like super high energy and excited. And then you're just like, yeah, what's up guys. But if people were just like kind of chilling and you know, people always say, read the room, right. If someone's just like, yeah, we're just chilling, dude. They're like, yeah. What's up, man. You know? And the casual thing is interesting too, because 
I totally read off of that too. I like being super casual, but if I'm talking to people that I don't know or, or I'm in an environment where I don't really know how I should act, <laughs> you know, kind of thing, I'm always going to sort of look to other people for cues. If, if it's super relaxed, I'm going to say things like dude and man and, and yep. stuff like that. I think a lot of people do this. I would throw myself in this category, which is why it's so hard for me to teach tone. That's something that I'm actually working on as a coach right now because a lot of it just comes pretty natural to me because I've just been doing sales for a while and haven't really had to think about it. Uh, but I love that, man. The advanced mirroring, I think, is actually that's a pretty straightforward thing to pull off if you can like really be in the moment and like really pay attention to like who is this person? How are they talking? How casual? does this person seem it's good sure. stuff there, man. Yeah. And I think that like, honestly, one of the ways I was able to get up and running with that, you know, in those, if we keep going back to the first 90 days thing was downloading the gong app, live yeah. in New York. I'm on the subway every day. And I just started listening to my calls and I realized sometimes when I get excited, I think my response to being uncomfortable or nervous is to talk a mile a minute. And, I'm like, and I heard myself on the phone and I was like, dude, put the coffee down, step back from the phone. You know, um, yeah. I actually had to make, I made like a little, uh, I took post-it notes and I put it on the bottom of my computer screen, you know, right where I had my uh, setup in the office, you know, oh man, I missed the office. That just made me remind, remind, yeah. <laughs> <reminded> me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I actually put post-it notes that said, slow down on the bottom of my computer. Cause I knew from listening to my calls, I was like, Hey man, you got to slow down when you're nervous. You start talking fast. It's just what happens, you know? Um, but I think I realized that quickly, you know, in, in listening to those calls when I actually, you know, kind of was able to successfully kind of, you know, match that tone that it just seemed like people were like, Hey, I'm having a casual conversation with this guy. And the next thing you know, we've booked a demo and they're telling me about their plans for the weekend, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, uh, it's interesting how, you know, just that, that simple thing of, uh, you know, making someone feel comfortable, you know, not only will they open up, but, uh, you know, they'll definitely um, at least hear you out for what you have to say. Yep. Love it, man. So we got the next part and this is advice specifically for the first 90 days. Cool. And you put grind with yeah. four Ds. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. In all caps as well. All caps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think that it's, uh, you know, and it's just one that I think is a, you know, I think you can work hard in your first 90 days and you can get where you want to go. Um, you know, me being the, I'm either, I'm either, either end of the spectrum. I'm either 150% or, or zero, you know, I'm either going to do the bare minimum or I'm going to like, just be like, Nick, stop, you know? Um, so during my first 90 days, I tried to just really do as much as possible. Um, you know, and I really think that, that was able to help me like set the tone and set a pace that I was like really comfortable with. Um, you know, personally I was, I was staying late in the office, Um, you know, being that we're in New York city, I could stay late till, till 7 PM and still make West coast calls. Right. Um, you know, they were still 3 PM, 4 PM golden hours on the West coast. Um, you know, that was a nice thing. It felt like, you know, at the end of the day, I was, I was making those West coast calls. That was a time I was using to, uh, you know, clean up any kind of open accounts, 
take care of my pipeline so that when I got into work the next day, I was like ready to fire at a hundred percent. So that was one of the things that it was, uh, you know, and, and, and definitely, you know, my choice to, and, and part of it was like, Hey, I lived a little bit far away. So I was like, Hey, I made this effort to come all the way to the office. Like, you guys are going to have to deal with me as long as possible because I want the free snacks and Gatorade. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, So how many hours did you, would you say in the first 90 days, how many Uh, hours a week were you putting in? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So I'm, I'm really not a, you know, as much as I've, uh, you know, wanted to, you know, read any of Jocko Willink's books and, uh, you know, as much as I want to get up early and get grinding in the morning, um, just not really a morning guy. And, uh, you know, for me, me neither, dude, 7am, it's, it's like, that's as early as I want to get up, dude. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, well, I, I kind of look at it that way because like, I think that there's just more productive hours. The hours are more flexible at the end of the day. So I would say like per day, I was usually, you know, we start our day at, uh, at nine at Falcon. Um, so, um, you know, was usually getting in maybe a little early, maybe, maybe eight thirty, and I'm usually probably staying until you know, maybe, um, probably seven thirty, seven thirty ish on average, eight thirty. Um, you know, just trying to, trying to delay that, yeah. uh, that hour long subway ride back home as long as I could. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, you know, not only that, like just staying a little extra and doing that extra pipeline cleanup, um, you know, listening to gong calls, um, just doing everything I could in those first 90 days, really. Um, yeah, but I think the other thing was, is I actually, uh, and this is, I realized it wasn't like a sustainable thing to do. And it was actually, it ended up being, I want to say more of a detriment. Um, but I used to do all my prospecting on the weekend. Um, yeah. So like your emails. So no, just like finding new accounts, um, finding, locating the new points of contact. Um, and you know, I'd even type up the email and schedule it to be sent on, you know, Monday at nine 53 AM or, or whatever. Yeah whatever time it was. Um, but yeah, I used to spend a lot of time doing that on the weekends, but kind of realized that, um, you know, it, and I think it worked itself out because it wasn't sustainable in the way of, all right, if you continue doing all your prospecting on the weekend, you're going to have to prospect every weekend. But um, luckily it was something that I think like after those first couple of months that I, I got a little bit quicker, right? I got a little bit quicker in working an account. I got a little bit quicker in making determinations, working custom accounts, whatever that was. Um, and I think that, you know, I was able to, you know, move that prospecting into my normal workflow. So it was no longer really something I needed to spend my weekends doing. Um, but yeah, at first that was, uh, I used to spend, there's a dog cafe near my old house. I used to bring my dog to hang out with the other pups and I'd sit there, put my cancel, noise canceling headphones on and I'd just prospect away. Yeah. It's, I mean, it sounds like you're putting in 12, 13 hours a day, you know, if you include the time spent listening to calls on your commutes and like all that other stuff. And I, yeah, I don't think that that's sustainable, but like, why wouldn't you do that in a new role? That's, you know, like if you want to get ahead and really break through that learning curve, doing that in the first three to six months, I mean, it'll just, just sheer effort alone will skyrocket you above just about everyone else on the team, you know? Absolutely. It was, uh, you know, and I can look back on it now, you know, being a year into the role. Um, and I would absolutely do it the same way yeah. if I had to do it again. Um, and, you know, I think that there's just so many different angles that, uh, you know, past the reps, past the learning, um, 
you know, even like, even into something like the optics of your coworkers, you know, when they see you like busting your ass and staying late, um, you know, I actually got recently got a really nice, uh, nice shout out from a, uh, coworker actually this past week on our kickoff. Um, but specifically mentioned like a conversation that we had when we were both staying late, like one night at like 9 PM in the office and we were the only two psychopaths still there. Um, yeah. but yeah, it was, uh, you know, I think that it's, uh, you know, something I would totally, totally, totally do again if I had to. Love it, man. All right. We got the fifth one here and cool. it has to do with feedback. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit more about that? I think it's a really good one, by the way. Yeah, no, definitely. So there's a couple, I think a couple of kind of angles on this one. Um, so the feedback thing, um, you know, I think in, in our specific setup, you know, was, I, uh, you know, I was always in those first few months, you know, you're just kind of learning, you know, what the tool really does. You're getting comfortable on the phone. You're learning about that ideal customer profile. And, you know, there really is only one way to learn and that's to go, you know, you can either pull up the opportunity when it gets closed, lost, or you can go, um, you know, over to the AE and be like, Hey, how was that meeting? Was it, you know, what, what did I miss? Were the notes that I had down, were they good? Were they bad? Um, you know, and I think that I just tried my best after every op during my first 90 days to go to the AE that held the meeting for me and say, Hey, how was that? Like, did I miss anything? How were my notes? Um, and I think the focus, my focus there was how are my notes, you know, were the things that I put down, were they somewhat accurate? Um, you know, (laughs) one particular situation that's pretty funny. Um, I actually had a, uh, a call with, um, I guess a big company in the media industry. And they told me that, you know, during my d- discovery call, it was actually my first discovery call, actually my first scheduled discovery call. Um, they told me that they used an in-house tool. Um, so I was like, okay, cool. Well, they've got some guy in IT that's like rigged them up a social media tool. That's awesome. Ends up that they're using uh, under their mother company, uh, Disney, they are uh, using their very, very sophisticated top of the line social media tool that just happened to be in-house. So taught me to ask those second level questions like, hey, does this in-house tool, does it have a name? You know what I mean? Like asking more clarifying questions and just, uh, you know, setting those AEs up with the best information they have to, you know, move any kind of uh, conversation forward. Yeah, no, I love that. And even if you're an AE and you're doing your own prospecting or you're doing some sort of full cycle sales, like getting feedback from other people that are touching the sales process is, is so key, man. Did you ever ask prospects for feedback? Um, You know what? I have uh, actually kind of a funny story on that. (laughs) Um, I think the first time I ever got feedback from a prospect um, was actually from Devin at Gong. Uh, oh, he prospected into Devin. He took a meeting with me. He took a meeting with me oh. um, and, and took a demo too. So uh, yeah. And like, you know, even just about bought us. So that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was super fun. So set up a time to talk with Devin, um, you know, did my typical, you know, intro, Hey, acknowledge, confirm, uh, you know, extend the expectations. Right did all of that, got into the conversation. And, you know, at the end of the call, I didn't really, I guess I didn't do my research enough to know that Devin came from background in sales. So I think the whole time 
he's going with my, you know, line of questioning and, and this kind of thing. And at the end of the call, he's like, Hey man, um, like, first of all, like sound good on the phone. He's like, do you mind if I give you like a little feedback? And I was like, absolutely. Like I would awesome. love to hear feedback. Like you have no clue how much I would love to hear it. Um, so yeah. And like, I think the thing that really he focused on, like his biggest feedback was, uh, you know, just considering your line of questioning to who you're selling to, mm-hmm. um, you know, in his instance, you know, he oversees all the content and gone. Um, so questions to somebody like Devin, shout out Devin. I hope you're watching or listening. Um, you know, it's those high level drivers, right? It's like, what are those three things? What are those three things that you're trying to achieve? Um, and you know, how can we, how can we line up our discovery around the product around those goals? Um, and what questions can I ask you to like, maybe lead you, uh, to an answer that will fit into one of those goals? Um, you know, whereas if it's something that's maybe a little bit of, uh, a little bit more of a, like, let's say maybe like maybe an entry level person, maybe that's a, a first job out of college, you know, they'll still have some kind of say in the tooling process and, you know, maybe they'll check out a demo. Um, but you know, with them, it's not going to be necessarily a, uh, questioning about high level drivers. You know, what is your goal for social for X brand for the next three years? I'm not going to ask them that question. You know, the director that's, Hey, they've been invested here in this job for like three years. Yeah. They have an answer to that. And hopefully I'll be able to articulate something, some value that our tool provides and and match that. But you know, if it's somebody that's lower level, it's going to be functionality. They're going to be in the tool. Hey, what are the, what are, what are the exact things you, you know, dislike about your current tool or Hey, what are things you love about your current tool? Um, and how can I, you know, you're selling functionality, um, at that level, I think rather than selling a solution, um, and kind of a, a business instrument at that higher point. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was just taking a note on, you know, with priorities, what I always talk about is, you know, I think when people sell things, they try to make their thing a priority for the prospect instead of looking and doing what you suggested here, which is how can I align with a current priority? Because rarely can a salesperson come in and completely change a person's priorities. Sure. That's a lot of work, but oh, yeah. uh, that's such good feedback, dude. That's cool that he actually took the time and it's right in line with Gong's brand too. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. <laughs> he was probably chopping at the bit, taking notes the entire time. He's like, I love this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I, uh, yeah, it was fantastic. And it actually, uh, you know, it was a, you know, it kind of, uh, I'm, I'm seeing these, uh, these Gong, I think that their branding is like his brainwashed me, man. I see this like yeah. purple and red, like I see the infographics in my mind right now. Um, but yeah, definitely got AI. And, and I will say that like that, uh, you know, even through that feedback, I built a pretty cool relationship with Devin and, uh, you know, he definitely gave me, gave me a couple cool shout outs along the line that kind of, uh, you know, helped me stay inspired about this whole SDR thing, man. Yeah, no, that's cool, dude. Well, Hey, we got a couple more minutes left. Let's, let's share one more. And this one has to do with studying top reps. Sure. Um, yeah, I think this one is uh is is pretty simple. Um and I think that it's 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 a big thing. Um and, and I don't think it I don't want to say it doesn't happen enough. Um but yeah, I think especially on like, you know, that team that's close in your proximity. Um, you know, whether it's a maybe it's a high performer on, you know, maybe your closing team or whether it's a top performing SDR. Um, you know, I think this one is is really specifically 
geared toward people that are in their first few months in an SDR role that are like hungry to learn more. You know, if you go to that, you know, even if you reach out directly on Slack and say, Hey, maybe we haven't gotten the chance to meet yet, but I see all the meetings you book. I love to talk to you for five minutes about what you do differently. Um, and I think that that's huge because first of all, I think that if I, you know, of course, anybody, anybody in sales, of course, I'll, I'll take some time to talk about myself. Of course. Um, you know, and I think that I, that more times than not, everybody's going to be very willing to put, to be very transparent with you, put everything out on the table. Like, Hey, this person really wants to learn something. Of course, I'm going to give you everything you could ask for and more. Um, and you know, just equip those people with all that information that's there that maybe you've taken a year to learn. And, uh, you know, you're saving, you're saving people, uh, you know, a lot of time and, uh, you know, maybe effort and maybe those 10 PM evenings like me, you know, maybe I, uh, you know, maybe I should have been a little bit better about reaching out and, uh, you know, asking those, uh, top reps. Yeah. This is such a simple tactic, but so few people do this for some reason. I, I don't know if it's because they don't want to bug people because it's the new kid on the block, you know, kind of thing. Sure. But why wouldn't you want to talk? To, I mean, dude, this is why I do interviews like this. I want to talk to people like you that are at the top of the game of what they're doing. And I, I learn from people like you. And there's also obviously mutually beneficial here. And then I can share the message and like all that other stuff. But sure. um, a lot of top performers love helping other people. They love sharing what they learned, you know? And you mentioned this at your company you're like, why, why don't more people new on the job come to me? <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah, it's funny. I, and you know, I, I love it. I actually, uh, so we have like a, a buddy system. I'm sure a lot of companies have like a, a new hire tenured rep uh, kind of system that we set up. Um, but I actually, I, I make it a point to like ask for uh, like mentees now. Um, I really enjoy that. And I found that that's really one of the more gratifying parts of the job and having these relationships to where I can share, um, you know, any kind of tactic technique, whatever it may be, uh, with new reps that are, uh, you know, that are kind of, um, you know, getting those first few months in and actually have a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool success story with that. One of the, one of the guys that I've been mentoring, um, actually led our entire team last month in month number three. Um, so yeah, watch out, watch out for a guy named Jackson at Falcon, man. He's, he's rocking. <laughs> uh, yeah. Super excited about it. But, uh, yeah, the kid's like a sponge, um, always comes prepared for our weekly, weekly one-on-one touch point, you know, whether it be listening to a call of his and asking for feedback, like, Hey, what would you have done wrong here? What did I, where, where did, where did this, where did, why did I get hung up on? Yeah. Sure. I'll let you know. I'll give you some detailed, like a, I'll break that down for you. Um, you know, or maybe it's spending time together, like identifying, is this somebody that is going to be a good account to go after, or is this a waste of time? Um, you know, or maybe it's, I think last week we looked at a, another reps call that went really well. Um, you know, he's like, Hey, this is a, this rep's got a really different style than me. Um, what are some of the, what are some of the highlights here? And what do you think that I could take from that and maybe infuse into my calling? Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I'm learning that I, that I enjoy that quite a bit. And, um, yeah, I, uh, you know, it, it just makes me wish, cause I think that maybe it wasn't something that I necessarily did a lot when I was new. Um, I think it, uh, would definitely make the first 90 days, first, you know, six months in a job. Um, you know, I don't want to say that much easier, but that much more successful for anybody that, uh, you know, goes and kind of makes those relationships and kind of gets that information from a, you know, an early day. 
No, definitely, man. And just having a sounding board is, yeah, is so sure. critical when you're early on, man. Um, well, hey, dude, this was fun. Flew by. Where do you want people to go to connect with you and where can they check out Falcon and all that good stuff? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah. So the best place to connect with me is uh, on LinkedIn. I'm actually uh, I'm working through, uh, you know, standing up a content strategy. But you know what? The way that I've uh, way that I've thought about LinkedIn is uh, rather than putting a lot of time and effort into LinkedIn, I'm actually working through some uh, some TikTok content right now. Um, I know it's a spot that not a lot of people in like the, uh, the sales development world are, but uh, yeah, I've actually got some content planned out. Um, kind of some short form, kind of sales hack kind of videos, like you know, mm-hmm. definitely stuff that's going to be content like we've talked about today. Um, but yeah, it's cold calls on uh on tiktok that's my that's my username so check me out there um yeah no content as of yet i will say that but it is it is going to be created it's getting created um but yeah they're linkedin um and yeah definitely if you're somebody that's in the uh you know social media space definitely uh definitely give me a shout i'm glad to uh to connect and uh you know if you're interested in anything social media related uh glad to have that conversation cool that was a fun one again filled with value. And one thing I forgot to mention at the top is for some reason <laughs> I pulled an airhead move on zoom when I was recording this and didn't tell it to record through my microphone and it just recorded through my computer. So the audio was kind of crappy on my part. So my apologies, I'm better than that. I know. But one of my big takeaways was really his ability to ask for feedback is really interesting to me. So he said, ask for feedback on every opportunity within the first three months. So he had a really good relationship, it sounds like, with his account executives. And he really helped, you know, work with them to kind of fine-tune the meetings that he was in. I think that's so important. Um, you can do this if you're a, just a full cycles rep, uh, full cycle rep, excuse me, too. So if you are that AE, let's say, or any other full cycle rep that's, you know, closing someone and you're not managing the account, you're kind of handing it off to a delivery team or a customer success team, is getting feedback from them on how good of a fit that client or that customer was. So that was my big takeaway. Uh, Before you take off, make sure to check out the Think Outside the Script Summer Virtual Tour. That's at tour.blissfulprospecting.com. We got, you know, depending on when you're listening to this, and we'll keep the replays up. Uh, I don't know how long they'll be up, but it will be free. Then they are live if you can catch them in time. We got, you know, if you're listening to us on Thursday, when it comes out, we got another two or three weeks of them. But it's cold calling you know, cold email, LinkedIn, personal branding, all that good stuff. The replays are up. We've had just some of the best of the best in the industry come on and do live webinars. So make sure to check it out, tour.blissfulprospecting.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you later.